things early career recruitment the strategies to help you succeed will help you work with generation z with all the information that you'll need it's the jack and ollie show hello and welcome to the early careers podcast with myself ollie sidwell and me jack denton uh, today, we are going to be talking about graduate apprenticeships in law. Graduate so apprenticeships, be, eh? Gr- graduate apprenticeships, yes. Um, so what, what do you think we mean by graduate apprenticeships, Jack? Well, I think the thing that we need to probably make clear is we're not talking about degree apprenticeships. We're talking mm-hmm. about an opportunity for graduates to um, go through a um, an apprenticeship program that is prepared for the level that they're currently at. So for somebody who already has an undergraduate degree. Um, and we're going to be focusing specifically on the legal sector where the graduate apprenticeship is very soon to become a reality. Interesting. So today we're going to be talking with uh, Peter Crisp, the Pro Vice-Chancellor for the University of Law, and Kerry Evans, the National Programme Director, also at the University of Law. Hello both. How are you? Hi, really well, nice. thank you. Hi. Good, uh, good to have you on the show. So uh, our listeners will probably be thinking, well, these are new. So what does the current process of becoming a solicitor look like? Yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, we can look at what it currently looks like and then what the future might look like. Hmm. Kerry, happy if I take that one first? Yes, please then... do. Super. Well, uh, the current training route is relatively straightforward. Uh, and essentially there are uh, two routes to qualification. Um, the vast majority of people who become a solicitor um, do it uh, in a what I might call the traditional route, which is where you do uh, a law degree. Uh, you then do the legal practice course. So you start with your LLB. You then do a one-year legal practice course. You then enter your law firm uh, where you do your training contract for two years as a trainee solicitor, and then you get admitted as a solicitor, and then you practice. So that's the sort of the standard route. Um, a variation on that, of course, is that um, non-law graduates, so people with a degree in history or a science degree, uh, can also qualify as a solicitor by, first of all, taking the graduate diploma in law. So you complete your history degree or your science degree. You then do the GDL, the graduate diploma in law, which is a one-year course, which is essentially uh, the foundational core subjects from the law degree. You then do the legal practice course, you do your two-year training contract in the law firm, and then you're admitted as, as a solicitor. So that's essentially the uh, current route. Um, there is an alternative, which we'll come on to in a moment, which is the uh, A-level graduate who does the uh, five-and-a-half-year uh, uh, solicitor apprenticeship, uh, and that is a, also an alternative way of, of qualifying as well. Um, Kerry, do you want to pick up on that just briefly and explain how that route works? Yeah, so with the five-year solicitor apprenticeship, that is a gra- that's an undergraduate apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. So the uh, undergrads would come to us at any age, really, and work their way through the solicitor apprenticeship program for five and a half years. And at the end of that program, they'd sit a centralised set of assessments and they would be put on the role as a solicitor. So it's an alternative way to go into university and getting a degree. And the great attraction of that, isn't it, for the A-level graduate, is that you're working all the time. So you're spending four days a week 
working in the law firm. So throughout the period you're working and you're getting paid, you're studying at the same time. So one day a week you're studying. Um, and at the end of the uh, solicitor graduate, the um, apprenticeship, uh, solicitor apprenticeship, the end of the solicitor apprenticeship, you have graduated with a law degree. You have qualified as a solicitor. You have been paid the whole time and ideally you're debt free. So it's a very attractive Ooh. route to become a solicitor. Uh, but at the moment, there aren't many people doing it, are there, Kerry? I mean, we... No, we're probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest programme currently uh, in the in England. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So there's probably only, what, 500 people a year doing it, something yeah. like that at most? Yeah, so it, So it, it's a quite a small um, number of people who choose that route to qualification. At the moment, most people do either their law degree or the graduate diploma in law if they're a non-law graduate, legal practice course, two-year training contract, uh, and then um, admission as a solicitor. Of course, as I think most people are probably you know, listening to this uh, podcast are aware, mm -hmm. that um, that route qualification is going to change dramatically. It won't change for those who do the solicitor apprenticeship route, mm -hmm. but it will change um, those who've done a law degree or who've done a non-law degree. Yeah. Because the uh, SRA uh, from next year are introducing very dramatic changes uh, to the route qualification. And it's all three little letters, SQE, the Solicitor's Qualifying uh, Examination. Um, so I'll just say a few words about that and just explain yeah, how indeed. that's going to change. Yeah. And just, just yeah. for in case anyone's not aware, the SRA is the Solicitor's Regulatory Authority. And that's the... Yeah, thanks. Order. Thanks, Jack. I do keep me on our toes <laughs> on this because we, we live in a, a little world of uh, acronyms and... Uh, uh, it can be very confusing, yeah. So SRA, the Solicitor's Regu Regulation Authority, are introducing the Solicitor's Qualifying Exam, the SQE. So uh, what, how will you qualify? What will it look like? Well, the SRA, the Solicitor's Regulation Authority, have said um, that they're going to introduce a new independent centralised assessment for all would-be solicitors. So this is a, a completely new approach. And it's a centralised assessment for all those who want to become uh, solicitors. At the moment, if you do the legal practice course, the LPC at uh, mm -hmm. the University of Law, you sit our exams. We write the exams, we run the assessments, we mark them. Uh, so in other words, you get our award. Um, but under the SQE, uh, you will sit centralised assessments. The SQE uh, consists of two new assessments, SQE1, which is essentially a test of candidates' legal knowledge. So it's assessing your knowledge of the law in the areas that the SRA have identified as being core to practices and solicitors. SQE1, test of knowledge. Uh, SQE2, the second assessment, will test legal skills. So again, those are the legal skills uh, that the SRA have identified as being key to practice. So for example, legal research, legal writing, uh, drafting legal documents, uh, advocacy negotiation and so on. Um, so you have to pass both SQE1 and SQE2. Um, you also have to have two years of qualifying legal work experience, um, which is essentially equivalent to the training contract today. Mm -hmm. uh, the name has changed, but it's, it's broadly similar. What the SRA have done is to loosen the rules around what, what um, uh, complies with qualifying work experience. So, in fact, it is now possible to do, for example, qualifying legal work experience uh, in a law centre, for example, or in other ways. 
Uh, it's also possible to take qualifying legal work experience during your degree. Uh, so in other words, you can do it at different stages. Um, but at the end of uh, the process, in order to become a solicitor, um, you will have to be a graduate in any, in any subject. You have to pass SQE1, the foundation of legal knowledge. You have to pass SQE2, the skills, and done two years qualifying legal work experience. Okay, so, um, so to summarise where we are so far. So at the moment, if you want to become a solicitor, um, you can do the kind of traditional route where you go to university, either a law or non-law degree, take uh, either one or two courses, depending on whether you did a law degree or, or non-law degree, a couple of years in a law firm, and then you're a solicitor. And there's been this change with these new um, new ways of qualification, which is similar but slightly different. Um, you have to pass two exams um, and then um, also get the qualifying um, work experience. Okay, so if we're if, if that's kind of where we are, um, how does that framework and that change enable us to um, to create a um, graduate apprenticeship offering? Well, I suppose this is where I came in with looking at how to put a graduate apprenticeship together. It's the fact that we now have a centralised assessment, which SQE two, which is looking at vocational skills. So if you think about a, a, a endpoint assessment or a, an assessment which requires vocational skills, one of the best ways to train towards that assessment is, of course, in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as soon as you recognize that, then a, an apprenticeship should be possible. But all apprenticeships are based on a set of standards. So it doesn't matter what apprenticeship you have in, in England, Wales or Scotland, the UK, they will all be based on standards. And uh, until four or five years ago, actually, the legal profession didn't have a set of standards. So it was never possible to have an apprenticeship. With this new set of assessments uh, being introduced, a set of, uh, of standards was created by an employer group. So the employers coming together to identify what type of person they needed at the end of the training program to be a solicitor. Um, and that also obviously meets the requirements of the endpoint assessment, which is SQ2. Uh, so when we were looking at the standards, of course, it was always possible to have a solicitor apprenticeship, taking somebody from 18 years old and training them to become a solicitor at the end or, or any age. Um, but would it be possible to take a graduate and make them and, and allow them to train via the same route? And I think that became um, uh, clearer to us as the SRA have been giving us clarity on that final assessment. And uh, last year, we recognised that that would be possible, that we would be able to train in the workplace a graduate to meet the requirements of that endpoint assessment. Okay. There we go. Very, it's, got, it's very technical, this, isn't it? Uh, from someone <laughs> out, outside of the law world in particular, this is it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this, this, this is obviously repla- replacing what's happened for decades, so in 1994, the LPC came in, I think. Yes, yeah, we replaced yeah. The, the Law Society finals, yes. Mm. Um, okay. So this, this, is, this is a fundamental change as to mm. how people will, will qualify, yeah. Yeah. Um, where, where did the model come from? Is it something that you've, uh, that's been seen in different industries? or? or well, it? yeah, I mean, I suppose the inspiration, if that's the right word for this, for this this regulation authority was looking at how other professions in particular have 
qualified their professionals. So in other words, mm. how do you become an accountant? How do you become a doctor? Um, and, and it was those two, I suppose, professions, accountancy and medicine, that got the SRI thinking about how solicitors qualify. Because, of course, the vast majority of accountants train on the job. So in other words, they study and they work at the same time. Mm-hmm. The accountancy have been doing this for decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's nothing new to them. Um, with the medical profession, um, to some extent, obviously, uh, most medics will do a degree before they um, uh, actually start to um, uh, study on the job as well. So in other words, before they actually go into a hospital, they will have done a substantial amount of study. But of course, uh, a lot of what the medical profession does is to learn on the job. That's the nature mm. of it, um, because that's the best way to learn, um, certainly in, in that sort of profession. So again, that was one of the drivers, was what other professions do. But I think the other driver, uh, the SRA would say, is trying to get a consistency of uh, standards across the profession. So in other words, guaranteeing to the public that everybody studied exactly the same thing, and that um, anybody entering the profession had the same skill set. So in other words, it was about consistency. Um, I think the third driver as well uh, was to try to open access to the profession. So there was a diversity and inclusion um, agenda behind uh, these changes as well, and particularly behind the apprenticeship reforms, weren't they, bringing that in, Kerry, that that was going to be a driver to widening participation within the profession, which at the moment remains um, drawing from a fairly narrow segment of society. Mm. Great. Well, that all sounds uh, like a great way of, of achieving um, a different entry route for, for, for young people to get employment into the legal sector. Um, should, we, should we touch on then what the, the, the benefits for students are then? Yeah, I mean, the one thing about apprenticeships is that um, whatever apprenticeship uh, uh, an individual would go for, there are there are additional benefits if they if they come from a sector which is recognised as being underrepresented in in, mm. in that particular field. Um, so. From a law firm point of view, I think possibly we'll touch on that later, but from a law firm point of view, that can be beneficial for them. But certainly from the apprentices' point of view, if they come in as a graduate, um, then obviously they will have incurred some cost. Now, depending what type of background that that individual comes from, they may not want to take on any additional uh, cost by going through the traditional route, uh, which just adds on more debt. Um, and even with the new route to qualification, there will be some additional training costs that will be needed and the cost of the assessment. So the apprenticeship um, removes that additional element. Um, it also, but but there are other benefits, and certainly from the monetary point of view I, I think for certain there, there are no downsides to an apprenticeship it's all good news from that point of view but I think from there are other good points for individuals as well so one thing is that you are taken into a firm um, which has a plan for longevity so they won't take on an apprentice with the idea of keeping them until they qualify the idea is that they're taking on that apprentice with the idea that there is a job at the end of it and that that individual will stay in that job now in our sector for quite a while now it's been quite difficult for uh, students who have gone through the traditional route to find a training contract so some of them are stuck in a role called a paralegal uh, role and they're stuck in it and they can't get that training contract this apprenticeship kind of overrides that um, and it allows them to to train get the on the job experience that's needed and also once they've qualified to have a job at the end of it so that, that's certainly a benefit and, and the other things that are coming 
from the student we already have on the undergraduate program is that they're saying that they're understanding the culture of the firm. So they're working with the firm, they're understanding the culture of it and understanding what the firm is looking for rather than just thinking of themselves as solicitors, they're thinking of themselves as a specific firm solicitor. And that, mm. that gives them ownership and, and um, gives them an incentive really to work harder both on the apprenticeship and for the employer. I can see, for me, I can see the, the biggest benefit, of course, for for employers because um, they can use, if they're paying into the levy, they can use that money to uh, to do this. Um, and for most students, let's say anyone who's working in the you know top tier firms, lots of people who go who um, end up becoming solicitors via that route, most of their training is paid for anyway by the firm. Whether they're doing whether they're doing the GDL LPC or whether they're going to be doing an SQE um, preparatory course or whatever it might be, it's very likely to continue to be paid for by the by the firm. So the really big advantage really here is for the firms to be able to tap into the the levy and the tax are already paying and to be able to drill down on that and use that in a in a more meaningful way that the, where they want to. Because it seems to me that of course some firms have really embraced the apprenticeship space. But um, most of the firms I know who work in the apprenticeship space in law, the vast majority of people they've taken are in um, business administration roles and, mm. and small numbers in, in the solicitor apprenticeship uh, route mm. um, for all sorts of reasons. It's, it, we also remember it's not, it hasn't been around for decades. It's not been around for very long at all. I think 2016 was the first year. So, um, so I'm sure every time that will grow. But I think that's kind of interesting. And for, the, for me, from the point of view of a student, for most students, it kind of doesn't really matter what the process is because if the firm you want to work for is following a particular process, you're just going to go along with that anyway, right? They're paying for it. So, you know, wherever, however you want to make me yeah. get me become a solicitor, I'm happy to, if you're paying for it to do whatever route. And for me, it kind of makes real sense, right? If you're a law firm, why wouldn't you mm. use your levy to? Mm. Is it just worth explaining to listeners what the levy is? Because I mean, uh, uh, large law firms and so large employers um, essentially if you've got an annual um, pay bill if so if your you know uh, salaries you pay out are more than three million a year then uh, it's essentially a tax on employers which um, can be used to fund apprenticeship training uh, so it's not every firm that will have which will be paying into the levy however all firms can take advantage of the levy so all firms can apply to have um, the training of the apprenticeships funded um, through, through the levy, which I think is a huge attraction. Um, I think, Kerry, one other obvious attraction, though, isn't it, is, as you touched on, is retention, because it means that, it, you know, I mean, a, a large law firm is, spends millions of pounds a year uh, recruiting and attracting the best talent and then paying them during the, the current training contract. Mm. Uh, and at the end of the two years qualification, you know, they might stay for a year and they move to another firm. And um, with apprenticeships, I think you get much greater loyalty, much better retention, uh, which is better for the longevity of the firm. Yeah. I think also, Jack, I, I recognise definitely, I think it's a, it, one of the main reasons that a firm will go down this route is because of the levy. But I don't think it's only that. And certainly in putting this programme together, the Graduate Apprenticeship together, we've had uh, an advisory group of employers that have been advising us on what they would like to see in the apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that they really want to see is a sort of a tailoring of the programme to their particular firm. That's very difficult to do for a provider uh, generally. But with an apprenticeship, because uh, 
quite a lot of the on-the-job training is ongoing in the firm itself. It is possible to right. tailor the, the training for that apprentice to become that particular firm's apprentice and therefore solicitor so that they're used to using the precedents that that firm uses, you know, and, and that's what I was getting at with the culture. Right. They understand how that firm works and you're getting a very different type of solicitor then out of that. Similarly, though, and I've got to put some, my hands up, sometimes that means that actually the apprentice doesn't want to continue to work in that firm and will look actively for a different firm that fits the culture. But I think that's probably of benefit to both potential solicitor and firm that actually they're parting ways earlier than they would necessarily have done. Yeah. And anecdotally, whenever I speak to um, firms, you know, running apprenticeship programs, especially people who've been doing it for a while, is that they often say that the retention rates of their apprentices are, are far higher than they are Absolutely. for their, their graduates. Yeah, the, the apprentices feel a lot of loyalty towards their firms. They re they recognise the effort that's put in to training them. It's not just the provider training them, as it is with the traditional route. It's also their firm. Their firm is putting quite a, a lot of work into training them, supervising them, making sure that they're progressing along the correct route. So do you think this will become the, the, the most common uh, route to qualification? Yeah, yeah. I mean, crystal ball gazing is always difficult. And I think particularly with a profession such as the legal profession, which is by it, its nature inherently conservative. Mm. Um, and uh, change is often slow in coming. Uh, and uh, a lot of firms are looking to see what's up, what are other firms doing? What's the rest of the sector doing before actually moving? Uh, and of course, um, the apprenticeship, yeah, it's a fantastic scheme uh, uh, um, for uh, firms who really buy into it but it does come with some how do I put it carries administrative baggage and burden absolutely yeah and yep. that is not to be taken on lightly in other words there is a compliance regime that you have to follow because essentially it's government money I mean okay it's it, it's fundable through attack a levy through attacks but in the end it's the government distributing the money um through the through the levy uh, and obviously the compliance issues are uh, absolutely, uh, you know, uh, essential to be followed to the letter. Really, really important. I think um, the other issues with the compliance piece is that something that the training provider would be able to help the firm with, or is that something they really need to do themselves? Well, it's a it's a mixture, is it? Because there's compliance on both sides, so both the the, the, the training provider and the employer have to. Um, do a number of, of you know, go, go jump through a number of hoops, first of all, to set themselves up in this particular way. Um, you have to be registered. Uh, there's a whole process, particularly around the handling of the finances. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so, I mean, it, it, I say complex. It, it's, it's just you, you need to follow a certain process. I and mean, so there's, there's that side of it, I think, that is to be considered. Um, but the other side of it, I, I, I suppose, is, is also the potential disruption it, to the firm if you take a graduate uh, entry apprenticeship on because uh, one of the rules around the apprenticeship is that the endpoint assessment which in this case is SQE2 the skills assessment mm -hmm. uh, is supposed to be set in the final six months of the qualifying work experience um, and that means that you're going to have a, uh, a member of staff an employee who's going to come have to come out of the business to sit those assessments they're also going to have to come out of the business probably to prepare for them. In fact, they certainly will because they'll have to do a preparation course. And so that's going to be create a certain amount of disruption uh, in the final six months of qualification. Now, for some firms, that won't matter. For smaller firms, I suppose, um, they'll be able to cope with that. They'll be able to plan that. 
Um, but particularly for firms which are transactional in nature, so for the city-type corporate firms, um, taking out 20 or 30 uh, trainees uh, in the final six months is very disruptive to their business model. Because this is at the point when those trainees are becoming really valuable to the firm. They're becoming mini-fee earners in their own right. They will have been factored into uh, the planning that each department, the trainee is sitting in, uh, into, into the workload and so on. And for suddenly for that resource to disappear for, say, two to three weeks is potentially um, a disruptive burden. Right. But I guess long term, law firms don't really have a, a choice, right? You know, in 2031, 20, there's only going to be the option of doing the... The SQE yes, well, that's the SQE route, yes. Yeah. But the um, uh, this, for the graduate apprenticeship route, um, the, the uh, SQE two has to be sat in the first in the last six months of the qualifying work experience with uh, uh, those who aren't been funded through the apprenticeship route. You can sit it at any time after you've sat and passed SQE one. So, right. in other words, you can you can front load it. So, we we anticipate that a lot of firms will ask their trainees that have sat SQE2 before they arrive in the firm. Got it. So they've already, already done it and got out of the way. It's only the graduate apprentices apprentices who will have to sit it whilst they're working in the law firm. Right, okay. There we go. Gotcha. Technical, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah, nuanced. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, so how you mentioned there's a few slight barriers there to, to overcome. What, what, what's going to be the... The uptake, like, do you think? And you know, as we see in other industries, it's mainly if you know, the big the big firms take it on, then you know, the others follow. Do we feel this is a similar model where if we get a couple of either Magic Circle or international firms saying this is a great great route, we're going to start doing this, uh, it'll follow it'll, the market will follow suit. Don't necessarily say think it will be the Magic Circle that will prompt the firms. I think it's going to be the large corporates. Mm-hmm. who will go down this route, but they're talking about having a mix um, of the, the what will become the traditional route, so the new traditional and apprentices. I think the, the exciting bit from a graduate apprenticeship point of view is that this will open up the market for the smaller high street firms who have only ever really been able to recruit after uh, an apprentice, uh, sorry, after a graduate has completed their training, mm. um, and they'll be able to recruit earlier. Mm. Um, so I, th- I think they'll be entering the market, and yeah. certainly our, our inquiries have come quite a lot from that sector. Yeah, that's so really a positive side could be that it will increase the number of training contracts available. Mm. In other words, the number of people able to qualify through this route um, could increase quite dramatically because, it, it, in terms of um, the financial side, it will de-risk it for the smaller law firm, for the high street firm, because they, because they have access to the levy pot, they can fund um, their intake of, of new solicitors through this route. Yeah, and it's also going to be much nicer as well for you know, there's lots of students who self-fund themselves through their you know postgraduate legal qualifications and their you know expensive courses. So if you can do that, you know. If you were planning on doing that and then go and work for a high street firm, let's just imagine, you know, lots of people do just want to work, would like to work for a high street mm-hmm. firm. Not everybody wants to work in a city firm. Then, you know, you've kind of basically got to self-fund that and then um, find a job, whereas this makes it much more accessible. So, yeah, I hadn't really thought of it like that, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, I was talking to a firm yesterday and they hadn't really thought it through and they thought, well, yeah, we could go into a university in the second year and start recruiting. 
You know, mm. if, if they have a five-year plan, they know exactly where they want people to be at certain points. Uh, they can start recruiting at that point. So I think it does open up um, the the market a lot more and uh, will give greater opportunities, I think, for certainly if we're thinking about diverse backgrounds, uh, individuals who just can't afford to self-fund, they're more limited in what where they can end up and uh, what types of firms that they can go to. So I think this opens up the market. Great. Well, that's I think you mentioned diversity as a, a key factor for this uh, yeah. and a reason why actually it'll be a huge benefit to uh, everyone across the UK. I think that's that's wonderful that it will actually have that effect uh, or you believe it will have that effect. Yeah. Uh, it's all set up to, to, to do so. Yeah, let's, let's really hope so. That would be great. Yeah, absolutely. It might be worth me picking up one thing that you said, Jack, which is the sort of date that some people may have seen, which is 2031 mm. as the sort of the final point for the LPC. I mean, that is that is technically the, the, the end point that the uh, SRA have set for the demise of the LPC. But in fact, it's going to happen much more quickly yeah. um, because essentially from uh, next September, so from uh, September 2021, anybody who starts a law degree or a GDL from September will be on the new regime. So they will be on the SQE route. So um, if you do a GDL, which starts in September next year, you will have to do the SQE. Uh, and uh, so it's, it's, it's going to happen fairly quickly, I think, uh, that students will be moving to the new regime. Yeah. Obviously, there'll be a transitional period when the LPC is running alongside the SQE. Um, but I think by 2025, 2026, the majority of students will have moved on to the uh, SQE because they will have graduated from their law degree um, and of course all GDL students will be moving much more quickly onto that. Yeah so we could see in, in the next say two or three years actually four different routes people on in the same yeah. firm. Yes yeah yeah absolutely yeah. yeah so a tip if you want to avoid the SQE for any reason if you don't, <laughs> you don't fancy sitting hundreds of multiple choice questions uh, in SQE1 which is what SQE1 comprises then you need to start a GDL before the 1st of September next year. Mm-hmm. Right. Might be some early course starts next year. <laughs> People starting courses in in August rather than September, like usual. Well, indeed, exactly. Yes, we, yeah. we are planning an August start date. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Look, is there anything that um, we haven't asked you yet that you think we should have asked you? No, we not missed anything. Everything. I can't think of anything. Everything covered. Wow. How, how about that? Covered. You've done well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. First, it's, well, really, it's a really interesting topic, and I think mm. obviously anyone interested in, in, in the legal sector is going to be hugely interested in this. But I actually think other sectors will also be interested in what the possibilities might be um, to expand it out. You know, it's been going on in accountancy for a long time. It's now in in law. Maybe maybe it could work in in other places. Um, and I think that will be interesting to see how it. Because no one, no one knew, did they, when they brought in the levy, how would this might affect things, the secondary and tertiary effects, and what time you know uh, might do. And people have become inventive with it to consider how mm. you might um, uh, use it. Because I think it's been one of the frustrations for many organisations is is how do you spend your levy? It's not always in the way that you want. And you know they're, they're talking about various things. I think at the moment, aren't they? Um, in terms of- I think it was quite insecure as well for a time, wasn't it? Because we we had a report that said that. Um, graduate type apprenticeships may not be funded in the future so it did did put a bit of a black cloud over graduate type apprenticeships masters type apprenticeships and and it was a concern for everybody really should you start providing them should you start training on them 
Um, but that really has been put to rest um, by the current government and, and they're supportive of graduate apprenticeships of all types. So, so possibly now we'll see an expansion of graduate apprenticeships. I think it's also perhaps um, unfortunate that we are stuck with the word apprentice and apprenticeship mm-hmm. because for a lot of people in the people's minds, mm-hmm. um, people think that's, that can only be technical, you know, an apprentice engineer or, you know, people don't really think outside of the box in the terms of the word apprentice. And what it really, mean, what it really means is it's, it's a career development levy. It's a, you know, it's a uh, enabling people to enter a profession. It's enabling, enabling people to change their, their, their work lives. It's, you know, it's not a not apprentice in the old fashioned sense uh, yeah, that yeah. people probably have in their heads. Um, and certainly in, in a class of people who were, who were studying for the SQE in the future, you will have some people who are being funded for the apprenticeship levy, other people who are paying for it themselves, other people being paid for by their law firm. Um, but they're all studying for the same end, for the same goal. They're all sitting exactly the same exams. Uh, they will all have very similar experiences. It's just a question of how they've been funded. Mm. I think the, um, the the rebranding of apprenticeships that's, that's gone on over the last sort of five years has been, or well, certainly because we've been in it, we understand how it's changed. And like you said, the traditional perceptions of apprenticeships in almost like certainly for my uh, my age generation, like parents' ideas is, is very different. Mm. You know, actually, I think we've gone through a lot of re-education uh, the Fire It Up campaign is certainly aimed at a very uh, snazzy, interesting approach to go into your future career. So mm. uh, I think the, the government and has done a great job of actually really trying to, like I say, rebrand and almost repurpose apprenticeships. Mm. Um, so yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll just carry that on. I think it'll just um, keep developing as well, won't it? Did you see the, the, there was a piece I saw yesterday from Stephen Isherwood talking about how they would like the ISE that are advocating some changes to um, the current system to allow um, firms to be able to use the levy also for some of their recruitment costs. Um, uh, I didn't see that. Yeah. yeah. And I think, so I think over time it will, it will probably develop and it might loosen slightly in terms of what you're able to spend. Cause it's very strict at the moment, isn't it? In terms of the particular things you can spend. It yeah. On. And, and some of the things aren't, are not uncontroversial, for example. So should the levy be used to fund, um, partners in law firms doing MBAs or mini MBA type programs is, is that an appropriate use of, of the fund? Because again, you know, we've seen these. Well, Kerry, we've, we've been looking at family leadership, you know, um, uh, apprenticeships, uh, and again, I, I think it's just I think it's the baggage that comes with the word. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you expect an apprentice to be an eighteen-year-old who's in a foundry, <laughs> you know, <laughs> learning how to make widgets or whatever it is. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's decades yeah 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 right well thank you very much for um coming on the show it has been an education for um, mm. me at least um yeah thank you very much no, thank, uh, you thank you both yeah thank you very much <laughs> thanks yeah. for having us so that brings us to the end of the jack and ollie show i've been jack and i've been ollie and that is the early careers podcast We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. For all things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed will help you work with Generation Z with all the information that you'll need. It's the Jack and Ollie Show.